Hey everybody, it's Lucas, and this is Thanks for Playing, the podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. And with me today, we got Tim and Tim, TNT, the official <laughs> inaugural podcast with Tim and Tim. We have had written content by these guys. You guys know Hyalette, Tim. Now we got Timothy, Tim, or Orion in the Discord. What's going on, guys? Uh, what's going on with you, Timuron? Oh, hey, man. Thanks for having me on again. Really excited for the debut of TNT. Um, as some of you guys know, we wrote the, we co-wrote the uh, the written review for Destiny 2's Lifefall, which premier- came out a couple months ago. Um, haven't touched Destiny pretty much since, but that's all good. Um, <laughs> but life is good overall, boys. Um, my wife just graduated and walked last night, so we got to celebrate that. Congrats. That was a good time. Um, I work in higher ed, so a lot of my students also have walked and are participating in that. So that's been really awesome. Uh, started Zelda finally. Yes. Loving it so far. Yes. Um, I'm about two hours in and I'm already like, holy fucking shit, this is good. Um, <laughs> just other Tim. Just more the same, but more. Yeah. Other Tim, opinions on uh, Tears of the Kingdom so far. And also your first <laughs> auditory introduction to the audience here. Well, just allow me to introduce myself. I am Tim O'Ryan in the Discord, and uh, it's really it's a pleasure to be here. My first episode, and uh, I have a lot of background with you guys, of course. So you know, this will kind of feel like just like a normal conversation that we might have, like on a particular weekend. But I'm really happy to be here. And um, in terms of what's been going on with me recently. Uh, my daughter, Ari, is going to be graduating tomorrow, so congratulations to Ooh, her. I'm congrats. so proud of her and uh, love her very much, and she's a listener of the podcast as well, so I'm sure she'll be giddy when she hears this. And then just in terms of everything else, just been busy, um, you know, for, for people who don't know me, um, I have uh, three kids. I'm married with a family, uh, work during the day, game at night. I actually have like a really cool, I don't know if they you can't see it on the um can't see it on the you know listening obviously but oh it's backwards it says dad it by says, day, gamer by night so yeah so you have just that, got that, that is kind of in a nutshell bro it really yeah. is it really is i i usually log in and play during the evenings and everything like that after you know everybody's in bed but uh, i've been playing games since i was a kid and in terms of what i'm looking forward to right now not tears of the kingdom but a very a huge Ooh. major release coming out for Blizzard Diablo 4, which is coming out in about a week from today. Well, if you have early access, which of course is what I got. But I'm really excited. It, it seems like it's going to be awesome. I tried to get Timuron on it, but he resisted because he wanted to play Tears of the Kingdom. But I was Can't lucky. Blame him. I, yep, true. I was lucky to get him onto the game that we're going to talk about today, though. And hopefully he enjoyed it, but we'll talk about more about that. So that's pretty right. much what's going on. Tim, I'm going to call you both Tim, by the way, just to keep things funny and confusing for the audience here. So I'm going to call on Tim. Oh, they you would appreciate that I'm talking to. so much. Uh, uh, by all means. Tim, uh, we always like to ask, it's your inaugural time on this podcast, favorite game? Oh, man, that's a tough one. So I think by default, I have to go with Ultima Online just because I played it the most. I played that game since I was 13 years old and up until maybe within the last four or five years, I would play it intermittently. The first true MMORPG that came out in the late 90s and just, you know, you know, for better or worse, 
so many experiences with that game and, you know, really informed me about, you know, all the games that I played, you know, from now up until present day. So um, it's finally dying, which, you know, 20 plus <laughs> years later, you would expect you're that. You're so to, ambivalent. You're so Just like, watch. There's going to be a resurgence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there's no way you know they have like personal like you know player run servers and everything like that but um it's not quite the same as the original and i've played those over the years but i gotta go with ultima i gotta go with ultima boys it's a fun one nice nice so uh you managed to like you said you're a busy guy uh got a full family over there got a full house dad by day gamer by night yet you managed to put how many hours into octopath traveler 2 Jesus Christ. 94 hours, approximately. <laughs> and, man, to other Tim, how about you? Dude, I broke also, 100 hours. <laughs> I, just was, real quick, as a quick aside. It was disgusting. I had, I, I had to tell him, like, Tim, it, this is an incredible game. Because we had just gotten off playing Destiny 2 Lightfall. This is an incredible game. You have to try it. Maybe we could do something, you know, potentially, you know, for the pot or something. He's like, kind of, you know, eh kind of iffy on it and then he just got right into it and then he ended up putting more hours than me into it it was crazy he doesn't sound very happy about it though it's not so much i wasn't happy about it it's just i was usually playing up until around like this 60 hour mark and then both zelda's coming out and we had this pod scheduled and i was like oh fuck i need to beat this shit like (laughs) sooner rather than later so i marathoned about the last 40 ish hours in like two two and a half weeks so i still enjoyed it a lot like for what it was, but Lucas, you, you definitely know, like if you're forced to play a game, like kind of nonstop and like grind it out, it doesn't make it as fun. So that was my groan is like a good chunk of my play time was just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I need to get done. There's also real talk. And Tim knew this a while ago. Once Zelda was announced for mid May, I was like, as close to May 12th, like it's over. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely squeezed this one in for sure. And you know, my we won't we'll we'll get into the review, obviously, but just right off the bat, my 94 hours versus your 100, I think, was a little bit different because the game came out in February. I got it about a week, week and a half after it released. And then I only finished it about a week and a half ago. So you got off to a much later start. But I think, like you said, you kind of crammed it in at the end, whereas I was kind of able to, you know, (laughs) relax, take a day off here and there, a couple days off here and there and really enjoy my experience. So. Yeah, yeah. And I know what you mean, uh, Timuron, Tim. It's like, you know, because oftentimes like we're forced to not force, but, you know, we're we have to finish games for the podcast. Right. But of course. sometimes, uh, as every gamer out there knows, you're trying to finish a game because another game is coming out. And you know that once you step away from that game, you're not coming back. It's like oh, you take 100%. a break from the game to pick up something else. It's done. You didn't beat it move on you might pick it up in a few years or something like that that actually very unfortunately just happened to me with resident evil 4 remake i didn't beat it by the time zelda came out and now i haven't even thought about the game i heard so maybe like august you'll come back to resident evil maybe i want to because i actually want to talk about it on the podcast formally in in a blog post or review or something but i got to beat it first and i mean it's it's it was so it's so 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 good i think it's going to be completely overshadowed by so many great games coming out this year but like i've talked about it before more recently is resident evil 4 was it's absolutely incredible um but we're not talking about resident evil 4 today we're here to talk about uh the lakers getting swept no i'm just kidding we're here to talk about (laughs) octopath traveler 2 too soon (laughs) we're here to talk 
we, we'll, we'll touch on that later if we got some time at the end as a little uh, post roll here. Um, all business today, boys. Okay, we're not talking. We're not trying to get sad. Um, we're talking about Octopath Traveler Two, the JR '90s JRPG 2D HD simulator. Uh, great scores all around. Uh, see a, a nine out of ten from Game Revolution, an eight point five from Game Informer. Actually, a eighty-six out of a hundred on Metacritic. A fabulous game, and uh, you know, for the most part, it's you two talking about it. Um, you're the ones covering this game for TFP. So sure. let's start out with some initial thoughts, boys. What do we got? You know, if I may, Lucas, before we even get to the initial thoughts, I actually have a synopsis, if I may. Ooh, oh, you wrote one too? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Dang. <laughs> you guys Damn, I wasted all this time writing a synopsis just for you to fucking swoop in. God damn it. <laughs> well, listen, I, I we think- coordinated. Uh, this this will this will lay the groundwork, but right. here, here, so here goes. So, Octopath Traveler Two. It takes place in the world of Celestia during an era of bustling industry spread between two continents. The story follows eight travelers with wide-ranging backgrounds, including Oswald, an imprisoned scholar with revenge on his mind after being framed for murdering his family, Casti, an apothecary who suffers from amnesia and yearns to discover her identity and past, Throne a thief who yearns to break free of the violence and abuse of her masters. Ochet, a beastling hunter who must awaken powerful beings to protect her homeland. Particio, a merchant on a mission to end poverty, not just in his hometown, but the entire world. Agnia, Barry Sanders. A, yeah, a dancer who wants to become a star. Temenos, this is a lot of characters, Octopath, that's in the name. <laughs> Temenos, an inquisitive cleric investigating the murder of a high-ranking member of the Church of the Sacred Flame. And last but certainly not least, Hikari, a samurai warrior and young prince exiled from his home. Super sick. Before we move on, Tim, I just want to ask you, did you catch that the first initial of everybody's name spells out Octopath? No. (laughs) I did not. That's interesting. Genius. I did not know so, that. Man. Yeah, I Tim a little mind into the details, the baby. Let's go. Uh, did you figure that out or did you see that on Reddit or something? I totally saw it on Reddit. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not I guess my pro. I should have graced the Octopath 2 Reddit in order to see that. Yeah. Oh, great. Great synopsis okay. right there. Initial thoughts. Let's hear it. Tim, I think you should go first since you're the one that got to play first and you're the one that fucking hooked me in so i think i know i know so you know what made the game so great for you that you had to drag me into this listen boys i'm not gonna mince words octopath 2 is a very good video game all right let's stop the recording let's pack it up let's we're done here good game (laughs) we're done but seriously though you know i've played a lot of role-playing games you know throughout the years i've it's pretty much the main genre that i've played ever since you know i was a kid Final Fantasy, the Tales series, Dragon Quest, Xenoblade Chronicles. In a way, I'm still working on the the remake from the Switch. The Yi series and so on and so forth. And honestly, Octopath 1, we're not reviewing that game today, but I was really turned off by that. But Octopath 2 ranks right up there with a lot of the role-playing games as one of the greatest I've played in a really long time. And again, I put about 94 hours in it, but you know, I... I do have some nitpicks and we'll get into that, but just overall fantastic game. If if uh if anyone's looking to put, you know, around 90 to 102 hours approximately into a game, 
you couldn't go wrong with Octopath. It's just it's incredible. Combat, story, the HD 2D is gorgeous. I played it on PlayStation 5. It was just absolutely amazing. And, you know, you wouldn't think that a game that is, you know, even though it's, you know, HD 2D, the graphics, you know, because of the fact it's more of a throwback to the older RPGs of the 90s, you wouldn't think that the graphics could be that great. But the the environments and the ambiance and the music, oh, the music is incredible. It just, it, it was just a wonderful experience to play throughout. Just, just a great game. Yeah, for my first impressions, um, just to kind of build some context around me diving into the game, haven't played the first one, so I actually don't have a barometer of if it built on the original, what systems change, how they change the narrative too much. Uh, so I went in pretty blind, aside from Timothy hyping it up. And before playing this, I was playing a lot of kind of open world open world games. Like I would think I was just coming off Destiny, which isn't really open world, but it's pretty massive. Hogwarts Legacy, open world. God of War, pretty open world. So I needed a good palate cleanser, and that's what spoke to me about this game. And from turning it on, this game is clearly a love letter to those 90s, old school 2D JRPGs. You know, if you played Final Fantasy 2 slash 4 or 6 or anything like that, um, then you'll feel right at home with this game. And I did. I was blown away by how good the visuals looked. I played it on the Switch, and I'll talk a little bit about my experience with that later on. But even on a Switch, it looked pretty damn good for the most part. Um, it was visually stunning. The the soundtrack was pretty lit. Like a lot of the themes and the fight music were bangers. And I didn't realize how much I needed a good palate cleanser, like the turn-based battle system, as opposed to the open world RPG bullshit I've been playing lately was just such a nice, fresh breath of air. And just playing through the game, I really enjoyed my experience for the most part. Um, as you start diving into everybody's narrative and th you know, the game starts building pretty much eight separate mysteries or in, you know, deep backstories as to what makes these characters tick, how they, you know, why they make certain decisions in their relationships and all of that. Uh, I had a blast with that. Um, there was some frustrating moments for me personally. Um, if you're on the discord, I'm sure you've heard me bitch about Elden Ring here and there. Fantastic game. I'm not going to get into, into that. Like it deserves game of the year award and I'll leave it at that. Um, but one of the hardest things I had with Elden Ring is I wasn't used to not having my hand held in some type of way. And for Octopath, the things that made it a really great game, you really had to pay attention and read everything and follow threads that aren't marked for you. Like only the eight characters, like chapters are outlined of like, okay, you need to go here next, you need to go here next. But for like, for all the side quests and for all like the rich, like under, like textual narratives that are bubbling underneath the surface, if you're not paying attention, you lose out on that experience. So there's a little bit of like a frustration learning curve to getting used to that type of storytelling. But once I kind of got into the swing of it, I actually wound up really enjoying myself. So hopefully to Timothy's relief, I enjoyed the game quite a bit, um, especially in context. But as alone, like it was a fantastic JRPG 2D style game. Over, right. Like, and, you know, it's 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 really interesting that, you know, you labeled it as a palate cleanser. And the reason why I kind of resonate with that, too, is because, you know, even before we were you know, playing Destiny 2, the new expansion, um, you know, before that, I, I was playing The Witcher 3. You know, the game's been out for quite a long time and I 
you know, kind of played it here and there over the years, but never really got into it until the past few months ago. And then I ended up putting, I don't know, maybe over 90, again, like 90, 100, 105 hours between the main game and the DLCs, um, you know, over the course of a few months. And, you know, it's it's a huge AAA game. The graphics are immaculate. You know, the story is amazing. It branches, you know, to different endings and everything like that. It's like a true, you know, true AAA game. And when you play Octopath 2, you don't, you know, on the surface, you don't really get that vibe. However, you know, as you start playing the game and see the amount of time that, you know, Square Enix put into it and, you know, really develop these characters' stories and enhance the combat system and the stories, you know, from the first game to the second game, you know, it's it's a nice change of pace going from, you know, Witcher 3 to Octopath from a turn, you know, turn-based game. And, you know, it just, it's funny too, like, you know, I'm the type of, I, 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 the, like I said earlier with Diablo 4, I'm the type of player where, you know, I get like those certain like brain waves, like, ooh, loot drop. This is exciting. This is great. You know, I would walk into a town and I would immediately think, okay, I don't want to do the quest. I don't want to do the side quests. I want to go to every single NPC and I want to mug them. And there's these path actions where each <laughs> character is able to do certain things. Oswald can mug, which, you know, he initiates a battle. And if you beat the NPC, then you get all their loot. But you can you can bypass that because Throne is just simply able to steal that loot from them, you know, weapons or accessories or whatever it is. So it it's a game that just really, you know, hit like a lot, checked a lot of boxes for me in terms of what I like to play. And the fact that it was, you know, in that 2D, you know, retro, you know, homage to, you know, the Final Fantasy games of, you know, the 90s and other, all the other turn based games like Lufia and things like that. Um, it was just, it, I loved it. I, it didn't take any time for me to get into it. I was immediately hooked and I was like, immediately like, okay, this is a lot better than the first game. Let's go. I can't wait to play this game. Beautifully said. Um, I, why don't we jump into story? Cause one yep. of the biggest things, you know, a lot of the reviewers and just discourse surrounding a game is the narrative structure uh, we have eight protagonists, which is a lot in a game, each of them with their clear stories. So since I've been on this pod a few times, I kind of want you to go first and let you cook, Tim, on sure. what you thought about the story <laughs> and the lore and kind of the universe I, building going on. I I got something real quick um, yeah. just for the audience and, yeah. and a question for you guys. So, you know, it's like I, I, I love JRPGs. I've always loved RPGs as well growing up. And um, one of the key elements of an RPG is obviously a really, really great story. Um, and I personally, I tried Octopath Traveler one. I think I've been open about not really being able to get past all the different replayed introduction levels for each mm -hmm. character. That's, that's a big complaint of mine. Uh, cause I don't feel like the story progresses that much. So one, you know, where does the story lie in terms of like Square Enix, JRPGs, like level of story quality and two, you know, how, how were the differences that the story was dealt with in the first one versus this one for you guys? Um, and also just cook, you know, I want to hear what you guys thought of the story in general. Well, I don't think Timuron played the first one, so I'll I answer that. Um, you know, I, I'm in agreement with you in terms of the first one, because like I said, I maybe put about 25 hours into it. So it wasn't like one of those things where 
I played it for an hour or two and then I, you know, didn't even get through all the beginning story quests. I was like, ah, screw this. I don't want to play this. I got through pretty much all the, you know, beginning chapters and got, I would say, I think each of my characters on average are probably over level 20, between level 20, 25. And I think I got through about like, you know, midway through maybe the second or maybe even third chapter in some cases for the characters. And the issue for me for Octopath 1 is that it was just, it moved too slow. The the progression was slow. The combat was slow. And a huge quality of life improvement, and I'll just quickly say this so we can t- touch it again a little bit in terms of game design. In combat in Octopath Traveler 2, you're able to turn up the game speed from up to two times. So the, the battles go twice as faster and you're able to get through them that much quicker. So then that way you're not like, you know, spending three to four minutes on you know monsters in a under leveled zone that you have to circle back to that are like 10 or 15 levels before you so i definitely think that um square learned from their mistakes of octopath one and really worked hard to iron those out and you know bring like a a great you know, sequel in terms of Octopath 2 and not sequel per se, because, you know, it's a entirely different world, brand new characters. The world's not even connected. It's just, you know, literally sequel in name. But what what they did from the second one to the first one, they built up on any of the gripes that I had and made those into strengths, in my opinion, honestly. I do have a couple gripes from just what I read with the first game that I don't think were 100 percent fixed. Um, I think in this one, compared to the last one, you could opt to play through every character's intro mission outside of the one you start with, or you can kind of bookmark it for later if you want, but there's really no point bookmarking somebody's like introductory quest because you want them in your party sooner rather than later. And for the first few characters, I thought that was fine, but there came a point where my first character was like level 20 and then the new character I'm trying to bring on is level one. So there was a bit of like choreness to catching up the lower level characters that you bring into your party a little bit later. Like the second half, essentially, of your party, you kind of have to grind a little bit just to bring everyone back to equal footing. Because I don't I don't want to go through a section that demanded like, oh, everyone has to be at least level 25 to enter here. And it's like this level three character is not like it's going to melt the minute they're yeah. touched. Um, so in terms of the narrative getting off the ground, I think it was still a little choppy in my opinion. Um, and overall, like I did enjoy the narratives across the board, but the more you play each of these narratives, the difference in quality became more and more obvious in my opinion. Some stories were absolute banners. I know Tim gave a really good description or like a one sentence summary, but some people had like crazy narratives that were about like either the end of the world or there were crazy close personal stakes. Like Throne is essentially on a quest to murder her adoptive mother and father. So she could be free from an organization that's essentially enslaved her. Hikari is trying to regain his kingdom and kind of restart a legacy 
built or a reign on like kindness and love when all his people have known is bloodshed for like thousands of years. So you have really high stakes narratives that I personally was like, hell yeah, like let's get into this. Um, Oswald, like he's a, he's a combination of Dumbledore's power and Liam Neeson and Taken. Like he's on this crazy vengeance quest. Like it's dope as fuck. But then you have characters like Agnia who's like, I want to be a fucking star and I want yeah, to make the world say, smile. <laughs> it's when, like, when bro, t- what? Tim had like, mentioned what the that, fuck? that didn't sound like a really compelling storyline when Tim had said that. It was just no, like, dude, like, like I groaned for most of that story. And kind of on top of that, everyone's characterizations were more like there's varying degrees of engagement or interest. Those with more interesting stories, I thought their voice actors and their characterization really sold that. But like Agnia, her personality seemed almost just as shallow as her story. So even when there's like moments of travel banter or interaction between the characters, when which were already few and far between, and I want to get into that in a little bit, like it just didn't go that deep. So it just made me, it just made me wonder like, what are we doing here with eight stories and like three, four of them are kind of whatever. And like one character, me and Tim, I know disagree on. Like I thought Particia's story was stupid as fuck. Like the whole Bernie Sanders adventure, but still trying to like be a capitalist at the same time. I was like, get out of here. Like it was just, he had cool moments, but he was another like grown worthy character. So for the narrative, like it was for me, it was really peaks and valleys. Some stories fucking hit. Like I came close, like tearing up at the end of a few of those stories, just because of how much that character went through. And other ones, I felt like my hundred hours was even longer because I had to fucking sit through their story to get to the end game. So, well, look, yeah, I'll, I'll say this between the first Octopath and the second Octopath in terms of the beginning stories, just get right off the bat for each character. I thought that the stories were much more better or significantly better than the first one, because I didn't really feel like I was invested in any of the characters in the first game. And then my character that I picked first, Oswald, which, you know, again, Liam Neeson, you know, taken slash, you know, just otherworldly scholar. The His chapter literally starts with, you know, some self, you know, composition or however you say it in terms of, you know, and he wakes up and he's in prison and we're wondering, why is he in prison? How did he get here? And then it starts talking about how, you know, he was framed for the murder of his wife and daughter. And he's immediately trying to figure out how to get off of Frigid Isle, which is where the prison is. Which, by the way, no one has ever escaped. And exact his revenge on the person who did this to him. And that's just one story. And right off the bat, I was thinking to myself, okay, they got the story part nailed right off the bat. And even if some of the other stories might not be as weak as others, I'm willing to give it much more of a shot than the first game because that one story captured me, you know, right off the bat. And then I, from Oswald, you know, based on, so how it basically works is in the world, there's like a large body of water. And then on either side, there's a continent. So the Western and Eastern continent. And then depending on where you start, there's like a natural progression of, okay, I started off on the Eastern continent and four characters are there. So therefore I'm going to go pick up those four characters just because they're the closest. So the first four characters I got, I believe were Oswald, Throne, Temenos, and I 
think I got Particio after that, or maybe he would have been, or maybe it was Ochet. But anyway, three of them were on the Eastern Continent. And in my opinion, both Throne's story and Temenos's story hit really strong for me as well, because Throne, again, she's part of an organization called the Black Snakes. And like Tim Timuron alluded to, you know, there's a mother and father that are basically like the crime bosses of this syndicate, and she's trying to break free. And I thought that was very compelling. Same thing with Temenos. He's an inquisitor of the church. And, you know, he's at the beginning, you know, he's in church and, you know, teaching a class to, you know, you know, little kids or whatever it is. And then that it goes from that to him investigating the murder of the pontiff of his own church. So the stories just started really strong and it it makes it to where you have the option to skip the story and just get the characters and then go back later. But I played through every single one of them and I was absolutely like compelled to play them because I thought the story was just incredible from top to bottom for the most part. Agnia is, yeah, story is not that good. I was going to say, you enjoyed Agnia's story? Is that what you're <laughs> no, trying no, to no. tell me? Okay. Well, I get Agnia's story in the sense that, you know, to tie to the larger theme, as you progress through the game, it becomes apparent that there's like a quote unquote shadow that exists and the big bad, you know, of the game, you know, consists of this shadow. And I would say five to six out of the eight travelers directly correspond along that main storyline and move the story in that direction. And then there's Agnia where, you know, she just wants to be a star, man, in a dark, dark world. You can't you can't falter for it. But uh, my 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 complaint with the narrative, though, is <laughs> it's to bring some light like to the were, uh, like a dis, uh, you know to otherwise and I appreciate like, you know, levity. But I think there's smarter yeah. ways to bring levity than let's have five ish dark characters and one bullshit character to balance it all out. Like I don't think this game needed that. It, to me, it felt like they needed to force eight storylines, and they're starting to run out of ideas. Well, I think the, the the problem was is that okay. Agnia, her mother was a star. She wants to be a star. Okay, you know, she has to go through all the, you know, channels of connecting with people in order to do that. Particio's story, and I know you shit on my boy in the beginning. Particio's story, <laughs> he's a merchant. He, he doesn't necessarily deal with the shadow necessarily, but he has a goal of, you know, basically curing poverty from the entire world. And he has like, a laid out method to do it. And I respected it. He had a plan. And a laid he came out method from, to... Okay. Listen, listen. He, when they when they first settled where they're at in Ores Rush, you know, he he knew wealth. You know, they, they, they started mining the silver mines and, you know, him and his dad knew wealth. The city, you know, uh, built up to, you know, like a bustling, you know, mining town you know based kind of like you know like in the 1850s or something like that and it had like a similar vibe and then you know the uh his partner his his dad's business partner up and left and basically robbed them of everything that they had and started taxing them for mining this silver so he became destitute they were all poor and finally they found a way to circumvent that and turn things around a little bit but you know still not near the wealth they had in the beginning but then from that experience of him no, like having like that destitution of, you know, I know what it's like to have nothing and to barely be able to eat and, you know, not know if, 
you know, I can, you know, help my, my, my fellow, you know, townspeople and, you know, they're suffering and their children are suffering and everything like that. His personal experience compelled him to go on this, you know, adventure, I guess. And just basically, he didn't want the same thing for people that he went through himself personally. So I totally sympathize with that. Can I just ask you a quick question, Tim? When you watch Shark Tank, are you moved by the entrepreneur's stories in every episode? It depends on how full of shit they are. (laughs) Well, then here we go. Like, yeah, I got nothing to say. Like, listen, I just thought his story was the dumbest. This is this is a this is a good segue (laughs) because to pair with this episode that we're doing for the podcast, we're also Timuron and I are doing a written article where we're gonna chronicle and do a snake draft of these eight travelers and check. Oh, check, I thought uh, we were just doing a straight up power ranking. Oh yeah. Power ranking essentially. Yeah. So, but, so know, we made a power ranking, but stuff, we yeah. snake drafted it just cause it was going to be mm, too much okay. back and forth determining it. So we're yeah. like, fuck it. Like let's draft yeah. them. And in whatever order they come in, that's the power ranking. Um, gotcha. so we're mixing things up with the written article and that it'll be a power ranking link to the episode. Not just and like spo- spoiler alert, everybody. I, I had Particio ranked ahead of Timuron. Oh, not not according to the draft. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. here's, here's my biggest kind of gripe with the narrative. And I know the sequel did a better job than the first one. But for me, the main storylines felt too disparate from each other for much of the game. And then the end game when everything kind of connects, like Tim already alluded, and some of the in some of the uh, narratives, the idea of the shadow creeps up here and there in different ways. So there was an attempt to start planting seeds of like, oh, like there's a reason why these eight travelers are together. But for me, I felt like there wasn't enough to truly link the link these folks together and early enough where the end made sense for me and that everyone had a purpose in this journey. Like you even mentioned, the shadow doesn't even pop up in Agnia's story. Mm-hmm. So to me, that even creates a bigger divide of like, well, then why the fuck did we bring her along? Like, you know, she as dances a good, bro. She dances good. Okay, well. <laughs> She's a good dancer. You gotta have a dancer in the party. character Star-Lord because he wins like a dance battle against the big bad. Yeah, I like Star-Lord. Like, okay, yeah, well then, Star-Lord. I'm outvoted two to one. Um, but I think Agnia and these like characters that I don't think has much of a strong narrative foundation, I don't think were done any favors in the overall narrative because there wasn't enough to link these folks together. Like if it wasn't the shadow, then at the very least, I would want to see them interact more with each other, build well, and- closer friendships. And th- let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. Damn. Sorry. 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 Um, <laughs> let him cook. Let him. Cook. Yeah. Let me. Oh, let me cook. Um, but a lot of their interactions don't really come up aside from random, like quote unquote travel banter, where you can kind of get like a back and forth speech bubble conversation about a different topic. Um, you don't really see these eight people interact until everybody's individual stories are done. When you do um, complete every like each person's chapter, like let's say I'm doing Hikari chapter three, like even in the quote unquote cutscene of you know the context building of that chapter, we only see Hikari. We don't see any of the other travelers. There's no banter in the most I think monumental or influential moments in the game. So 
Agnia, Ochep, even Particio, I would have been bought in more if there was more seeds planted that these people are actually a group of eight traveling together. For me, it just sounded like I'm playing eight different protagonists and everyone's there to just help me fight. There really wasn't a sense of community or camaraderie between these eight, which for me, the ending kind of felt a little flat because I didn't have that connection between everybody. No, that's a good point. And I think just inherently in the title itself, Octopath, there's literally eight paths that you follow throughout the game. And as the game begins, you play individually through the first beginning of chapters of each traveler. So there is no connection between any of them. So if you get Oswald first, then you, you know, grab Throne after that. Throne is like, hey, Oswald, what's going on? Hey, you know, or nice to meet you or whatever. Like, there's none of that, obviously. Um, well, not obviously, I guess you wouldn't know that, but, you know, I think between, um, one thing that they did try to do, um, with, with this game is that they did the crossed paths, which I think was very helpful. And honestly, I think, you know, to your point, maybe there could have been more of those spread throughout, not necessarily stuff that would have been part of the main story, but more available in the side story to make it to where, you know, to build those relationships between the eight travelers or the two travelers and everything like that. And the other part too, I guess, you know, to your point also, why just limit it to cross path events with two characters? Why not make it three? Why not make it four? Why not make it the whole party? Like, you know, the end game after you beat the game and then have like a party or like a, a side quest where, you know, there's dialogue between all eight characters. So I, I can agree with that, but I definitely think that um, just inherently at the very start, at least, you know, the story might be disjointed, but I do think that they did a better job of, you know, trying to connect the stories again for the most part. So I will agree that there was an attempt. There was. So should we move on to art style? Um, I think game design was probably the next biggest thing we could talk about. Oh, yep. Sorry. Because I, I don't have as I don't have as many stuff to say about art style and sound sound design. Because a game don't? Not as much as game design, because the biggest thing that this game was the discourse surrounding this game is narrative and you know how they changed up the the game design. And we already touched on a lot of um we already touched on a lot of the factors of what built this game. Um in terms of interacting with the overworld, there's different towns, there's dungeons, there's temples. Each of these points of interest are connected by a path. So I kind of like that, that it's a path and we're playing Octopath, <laughs> nerdy. Um, mm-hmm. So there isn't, you know, there isn't a lot of open world knit, like exploration. It's very direct kind of routes um, that you're traveling in between. Um, some areas are level, not level locked, but if you try to go, if you're a level 15 party trying to go into a level 45 area, you're going to get shredded. Just no ifs, ands, or buts. Um we already touched on everyone. You kind of kind of start based on who your first character is, and then you could kind of just go anywhere. You could pick up characters in any order. So there is a lot of non-linearity to start the game, which I think is both a plus and a con, depending on your um, experience. But my favorite part of the game design that I really want to touch on, make sure we talk about, is the combat. The combat Absolutely. was, for me, one of the best turn-based style com- like RPG combats I have played. Um, turn-based can feel slow, turn-based can feel kind of choppy, but I really liked the fluidity and dynamicness of this game's combat system. So in addition to turn, in addition to turns, you know who is acting and when, 
and there are certain actions that impact who's going to act early in a turn versus later, which I thought was cool. Um, every turn, characters accumulate boost points or BP, and you could consume boost. You could stockpile them and consume them to do more intense attacks. Everybody has, I think they're called a latent ability, Tim, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and that essentially serves as a limit break. And when you're fighting enemies, they have shields. And you could chip away at their shield points if you hit the right physical or elemental weakness. So and for the lesser enemies, you could kind of just steamroll your way through. You didn't have to think so strategically. But the boss battles, I think, were my favorite part of this game. Because you really kind of had to think of like a cadence of like, Okay, I need I need so and so to get these hits off first. I need to expend this amount of boost points so I can whittle their shields down to X amount, and then has Oswald come in and do X, and then when the shield's broken, have Hikari like deal massive damage because when you break through a shield, they're more the enemy's more vulnerable to critical attacks. So there was a lot of interesting just kind of figure out making sure like your party is able to hit on all the different weaknesses a boss might have. Um, the skills needed to, you know, whittle down a boss's hit points or counter it. Um, so just that there's a really good ebb and flow of this, of the combat system that I don't think I've necessarily experienced in this way in an RPG before. Right. Absolutely. And one thing that I really like about the game design too, is that to me, the progression just felt really natural. Yeah. You know, you play a lot of JRPGs or RPGs and you know, what do you have to do in most games? You have to grind it out. You have to go to a certain zone or, you know, dungeon or whatever it is and just grind the ever living, sh ever living shit out of your characters in order to boost their power level or their levels. Honestly, in my playthrough, I maybe did that for 15, no, like, well, maybe 20 to 30 minutes early on, very early game. And after that, everything was just like natural progression. And at the end of my playthrough, Oswald, which typically the character that you pick first is going to be your highest level character, even at the very end of the game, because you're going to have him in your party pretty much the entire time up until you complete his story. Then you can swap him out for whoever. Um, Oswald was about level 70, level 71. Hikari was 61. And then the rest of my party was from around level 53 to 56. And, you know, honestly, even at that level, I think the um, the final dungeons or areas in the end game, the recommended levels, like around like 51 or 53 or something like that. And, you know, to get to one of my nitpicks of the game, you know, I was still blowing through, you know, enemies and bosses even at that point. You know, if I had thrown in Hikari in my party, for example... You know, they have very special abilities where if I set them up properly, you know, have have them in my party and then a couple utility characters to, you know, provide like a speed buff or provide, you know, like a boosted physical attack. And then, you know, even even their shields don't have to be knocked out necessarily. I'm knocking out like 30 to 40,000 damage on a boss. And then I just have to do like a regular attack once they transition to their second phase and then they're dead. So that was one nitpick that I actually did have with the game in terms of the game design is that. Once I figured out a good party synergy, the boss fights just felt really easy. And I didn't really feel that challenged up until the final boss. And I know that, you know, for people who are listening to the podcast who have actually played the game, you know, if they've gotten to the point where, you know, they um, go up against like, you know, the the alternative boss in the, you know, ep the epilogue or whatever that I, um, from my understanding is the boss from the first game. 
that's really that's a really difficult fight. And I think you have to be at a minimum of level, you know, 60, 70, maybe even a little bit higher than that. I didn't do that personally, but in the main game, I felt like I covered pretty much a majority, if not all the dungeons, um, all the side content in terms of bosses and everything like that. And it was a cakewalk for the most part. There's just some characters, if you pair them up with certain abilities and other characters to pow- you know, to power them up, for example, merchants, they can provide that BP boost, which, you know, Hikari can, you know, do a full um, BP or boost point, you know, attack with his warrior ability, deal 30,000 damage, Particio's next turn, I give a BP boost, and then the next turn, it's Hikari's first turn again. I can do the exact same thing again and deal another 40,000 damage. Like he, Hikari was ridiculous in particular, um, more so than, you know, most of the other travelers. So that's kind of the exception to the rule. But, you know, even Throne, she has her, you know, Aber's Reckoning. It's a, you know, um, an AOE attack with her dagger where, you know, it scales based on her speed skill. And what I did was I just literally stacked speed on weapon, equipment, accessories, everything. She even has a skill where if you use her latent ability, one turn, you can use her speed ability to speed up her, you know, to give her a speed boost. And then her second, you know, her second turn, she just uses Aber's Reckoning and just destroys everything. So your point is taken with the combat. It's absolutely, it just, it's incredible. I just, I loved it. It one thing that wasn't messed up or wrong or not right about the first game was the combat. The combat consistently has always been great. And in the second game, it's pretty much, you know, the same, if not better. But the main thing for me is that I wish there was just a little bit more difficulty with the bosses. You did touch on something I kind of want to make concrete that I really enjoyed with this game, too. Um because with RPGs, it's all about making builds and optimizing your party. And this game gives you a lot of options in how you want to build your characters, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, like everybody has their native job or class or whatever. Like Hikari's a warrior, Throne's a thief, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but throughout the game, you're able to pick up pretty much a secondary job, which includes eight of the existing jobs based on the characters and there's four secret jobs littered in the game world if you can find them that do just insane things like hikari his second job could be an arms master so he's able to wield every type of physical weapon so he can melt anybody's physical shield by himself pretty much but what i loved is there wasn't there obviously some jobs that might work better with certain characters but everyone had enough flexibility where you could kind of build whatever you want. Like in the written article, I noticed combinations Tim was using that I wasn't even thinking of using. And I think it went vice versa. Like most people, like I saw online, they wanted to pair like Oswald with the Arcanist job as a second job, which is one of the secret ones. And Arcanist job has does a bunch of crazy buffs and things like that. But one of those abilities, Seal of Diffusion, lets you spread an individual buff to your entire party. So if I paired it with Particio, and he, you know, one of his skills is Sidestep, where it guarantees um, an evasion of the next physical attack, I essentially make my party untouchable with um, Arcanist on Particio. So there's just insane combos that you can do pretty much with any combination of jobs for any character. And I thought the game did a really good job just kind of opening the sandbox of, hey, try different things out, try different passive skills, active skills, and see what synergizes. Um, 
And I, for me, I had a lot of fun. And I think some, a good chunk of my time just went towards that is experimenting with different skills and passives to see like what I can do. So on top of the combat, the, co- the class system or the job system or whatever you want to call it, I was actually really impressed by it because I haven't seen that level of build nuance in kind of a traditional 2D JRPG personally. Remember when I tried not to give you like too much early on since you started later than I did, but remember where I kept telling you, Inventor, bro, Inventor, you got to get it. Inventor was sick. The, <laughs> the hardening hammer was ridiculous or whatever that the hammer is called. It's not even uh, the hammer. It's that passive ability one step ahead, which literally oh, that, gives you a yeah. free turn. So you put one step ahead. It's a, you know, you have passive abilities. You have four, I believe is the max that you could put on each traveler. And the inventor has an ability called One Step Ahead, which essentially at the beginning of every fight, each character, if they have that passive ability equipped, is able to act before the actual first turn. So you essentially get two turns right off the bat. It's pretty broken. They probably should have patched yeah, that. You can, melt, you can melt shields pretty much before the enemy has a chance to act. Exactly. exactly. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but what, what I thought was cool is if you maxed out um, like all this, like all the job points needed to like complete a job or maximize all the abilities you keep the passives as an option to equip so like for hikari i made him a conjurer just so i can unlock that all the skill set because one of those um, one of his the passes for that one is um sp saver and hikari he doesn't naturally have a ton of skill points or sp so if you use like an uber attack you're using literally a third of his sp both SP saver that it has all the costs for that. So I was having Hikari freaking deal haymakers pretty much like every other turn, which is absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, like I think if there's one thing this game really got right is the overall like combat and build system surrounding like as the main driving force of the game. And for me, like the combat helped me forgive some of the complaints I had with the narrative because it was fucking fun. Like Agnia's story might've been whatever, but since I could build her any way I want, she was great in my party. Like I had a blast. Incredible merchant. Yeah. And even though Chet, like as another physical attacker, like we didn't mention Ochet. Ochet was super annoying because all she <laughs> wanted to do was eat meat the entire, the entire game. Like it's like, oh, hey, the, f- the end of the world's coming. What should we do? And she'd say some shit like, let's eat jerky. I'm hungry. She's um, hungry. She's clearly, but like for her abilities, when you max them out, she's able to capture monsters out in the overworld, like through your random encounters and bring them into battle. And some of those monsters are freaking insane. So essentially you're like Pokemoning slash fantastic beasting within your game. So even if their narrative weren't weak, they had clear places in the combat. And for me, towards the end of the game, I had a really hard time deciding who I wanted my main party because everyone like was able to do some crazy cool shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the build diversity was just incredible with the jobs. And then just to quickly touch on a point that you had made as well with the um, Conjurer, the Arcanist had a passive ability too where you could essentially double the SP that you used and do more damage as a result. But um, just to move off of combat real quick, um, we didn't talk about, well, well, we'll lightly touch on the path actions before we move on, but... Um, I thought they were strangely addictive. You know, like I said earlier, 
You walk into a town, the first thing that I want to do, I wanted to steal from this person. I wanted to challenge this person in order to gain their ability. I wanted to entreat an, an NPC so I could, you know, you know, convince them to give me their stuff. I literally every town that I would go into in this game, that was the first thing that I would do. And then once I literally had an interaction with every single NPC, then I would move on to the story. And, I, and this kind of goes back to story a little bit. You know, you you scrutinize, you know, an NPC and you you find out something like, oh, this, uh, you know, mid 30s, you know, uh, waitress at the tavern is cheating on his husband with, you know, the, the weaponsmith or something like that. So there's like weird, funny little nuggets that you can find, you know, throughout your playthrough that, you know, as is a result of, you know, the path actions that they, you know, kind of, you know, push you in the direction of doing so. Yeah, I really want to emphasize like the path actions for me is what kind of balance the narrative back out towards like the positive end for me. Because yeah, to your point, when you scrutinize or do an action where you get to learn more of the NPC's backstory, that's where I feel like all the towns and everything really start coming alive because you start seeing hints of like, oh, this person knows that person and they have beef. Like in one town, you learn that like an eight-year-old never gets to hang out with her parents because they're always working. Well, it turns out that her parents' dad, um, the elderly man, the grandpa, the regular churchgoer, um, has five ex-wives and has to pay alimony. So he forces his kids to pay for all his alimonies. Exactly. And it's like, you don't get that unless you're talking to all the NPCs and kind of digging into it. Exactly. And then like, there's like a kid with a teddy bear and he just like, you know, his general dialogue, if you just hit A and he just talks to you and he's like, oh, I love my stuffed bear or whatever. But then when you scrutinize him or observe him or whatever... Like, he says some shit like, oh, the bear, like, eats my soul every night so I can sleep. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on? That was creepy as hell. Um, Or, like, the town of Clockbank, that's actually where you can pick up the thief job so you can load it as a secondary job to someone else. Everyone on the outside is super friendly and nice and like, hey, yo, what's up? But then when you scrutinize them, you get to, like, you know, you see through them. You learn that everybody in the fucking town is a thief or an assassin, essentially. So it's an entire town ready to kill each other, but everyone's just super nice on the outside. So the path actions, you know, I think was a really great part of game design because it's how it really made the narrative come alive in this world, kind of its own living, breathing entity. Um, almost as if like it was a ninth traveler, in my opinion. Like you got to know a lot of shit going on that had nothing to do with anything, but your understanding of how people connect in this world is just that much deeper. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with everything that you said. And uh, I jumped the gun earlier, but now should we move on to art style? Sure. So I guess I, I'll go. Go ahead, go ahead. Just real quick. I don't really have much to say about it. I mean, we touched on it earlier. It's an HD 2D, you know, JRPG turn-based game. Um, Octopath 1 is what rev- revolutionized the graphical style of HD 2D, and Octopath 2 just really refined it further. Um, like I said um, earlier on, I played it on PlayStation 5. Its graphics were excellent. I, you know, the lighting, the shadow, the the, you know, effects, everything just excellent. Um, and for me personally, just you know, playing on a 16-bit game, you know, with those graphics, it just it really brought to me like a nostalgic feeling of you know playing you know those you know Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI as a kid growing up you know, along with like, you know, the, the graphical fidelity of like, you know, modern games too, and the modern graphics. And I don't know, I just, I thought it was great. Not really much to say. 
I, I pretty much agree with all your points. Um, I played on a Switch, and I looked at the comparison of PS5 and Switch, and the Switch doesn't look as good, unfortunately. But I got to play Octopath in bed in the middle of the night, so there was my payoff. But the Switch definitely, it didn't look as good. But even that being said, the game's freaking gorgeous. Like, the sprites are still super, like, crisp and clear. And they still emote. Like, you could still tell, like, what they're feeling just based on basic changes to the face. And that's where I think the HD does really well. And the environments. Like, there's moments where you're kind of scaling back or, like, they're doing kind of like a hover shot in a pseudo cutscene for this type of game. And just, like the layers of detail like from a like at a glance it looks like the like the environments are almost like hand painted um but it's still like hd 2d which was kind of crazy so the art style the art design i you know kudos to the developers like visually this game's stunning and i'm saying that playing it on a machine that i don't think is optimized to play this game yeah totally agree should we move to sound design I rudely interrupted, so you go right ahead. Um, I thought the sound design was great overall. The music, every pretty much everybody's theme and every place's theme was a banger. I really dug everyone's everyone's individual theme. As much shit as, as I give Particio, I thought his theme fit really well for kind of his more swashbuckly, low stakes and cons- consequential um, story. Whoa, the whoa, fight music. whoa, whoa. <laughs> fight me shots fired um but you know no matter how i feel about the character like his theme rocked um so shout out to the composer yasunori nishiki if hopefully i'm not butchering that and if i am i'm sorry if you ever listen to this pod um (laughs) the voice acting for the eight travelers i think i mentioned earlier i thought was also really solid like they sold their story my biggest gripe is the side characters when they did have voice acting it kind of sounded like they recycled the same like dozen voice actors or so. So there's a moment where I'm like, dude, this like girl sounds the exact same as the girl in the last town. So that's where for me, it broke a little bit of that immersion sound wise. It's just the repetition was, they could have hit it a little bit better. Somebody could have raised their voice a little bit to a higher like octave, but th- that's, I'm nitpicking there. Like the, the main elements of the sound, the soundtrack, the eight voice actors for the eight main characters I have no complaints. It, they did a great job. Yeah, I mean, truly, chef's kiss with the OST. It's it's absolutely incredible. Um, I believe there's 132 specific tracks on the OST. So just so wide ranging, you know, for battles, again, characters, and then characters depending on the moment or the chapter. It just really makes the game that much more of an enjoyable experience playing my only gripe about the OST is that Square just makes it such a pain in the ass to actually access it. I went on YouTube. I would go try and go on Spotify, Stitcher, and it is just so difficult to try and find it. The only place, the only reliable place that I was able to find it where I could, you know, listen to it unimpeded was on SoundCloud. And I literally downloaded the app just so I could listen to the soundtrack. And, you know, if I'm like during during like the work day or if I'm like driving, you know, to and from work or, you know, just working remotely, sitting in my den, you know, I just I would put it on. It just it's it's excellent. And, you know, just a couple quick, like just to name a couple of my quick favorite tracks, Critical Clash 2. It's one of the, you know, boss encounters. Ah, just it's so good for for those of you that are listening. It's called Critical Clash 2, Octopath 2. 
you have to listen to it. You're just you're going to get fired up. Just listen to it at the start of your day, beginning your work day. You'll immediately get fired up. And it's like Critical Clash, The Journey for Freedom Ends, Bygone Days. It's just so many bangers throughout this soundtrack. It's just it's absolutely incredible. And then during combat, you know, when you break a shield, just it feels impactful. Like you're breaking yeah, that uh, monster shield. It's just like, yeah, there's like a loud gra- like glass that like, you know, that breaks and it's just it's it's great. And then just everything, you know, in terms of the sound, you know, like the abilities to just everything just feels strong and impactful. I just I love it. Sound design is just excellent. No, I'm, I'm glad you touched on the sound design. Like whenever Hikari used like Bane's Blade or any of his lane abilities on like full, you know, fully boosted, like you can f- almost like feel like the sword swishing through everything. Like, yep. yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of the mentioning that. All right, Timuron, what was I your think, favorite moment? My favorite moment? There's a lot. Um, 100-hour game. There's a lot of moments I really liked. Um, I kind of already mentioned one of them, just learning about the different NPCs and what the fuck is going on in these towns. I always had a blast doing, like, again, like learning about the horny grandpa. I was like, this is funny as hell. Um, but I think one of my favorite moments was the the... Um, proof of innocence, proof of guilt, proof of justice side st- um, story in Timber Rain, where pretty much a man's been, like being put on trial for killing a judge. And it's a situation where an innocent man is going to be either locked up or executed. But you have, you know, if you choose to participate, you can kind of read through the dialogue of each step of the case, gather evidence, bring people to the courthouse, and essentially absolve, like, a man or like prove that a man is innocent and another person's guilty. So just kind of think about like, I thought that was a really cool, like reflective moment of Oswald's story where, you know, he was an innocent man put in jail. And then you're kind of given an opportunity to like help someone else that's in that situation. So I thought that was set up. And then it's more of a passive quest because you just see speech bubbles popping up in the court. So if you're not paying attention, you miss it. Um, but if you stay long enough, then you start picking up like, oh, like there's a court case going on. Shit's happening. And then you start like seeing clues of like where evidence might have been planted. So it was kind of a cool like, I don't know, criminal minds, law and order moment of just like helping an innocent man, as, you know, escape death or jail or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of side quests that I really enjoyed. But that one, that one just sticks out to me for, I think, because of the Oswald reflection. That's really interesting. As someone who's in the legal field, I figured I would lean more towards that. But for you, maybe you should be in the, maybe the wrong Tim's in the legal field. Shit. Um, With Um, everything you said in the legal field, I'm good, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) I'm content in education. Yeah. I'm a scholar, Um, bro. What can I say? I know. Literally. Literally. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah, I actually, I did go through that side quest. I thought it was really interesting. Just as a quick aside before I move on to my favorite moment, did you challenge or battle the judge outside of the courthouse? Did you ever try him? No, you could do that? Yes. And oh, shit, no, I like, didn't. He, it's it's so funny because him out of all the bosses and, you know, the final boss that I, I didn't mention, the final boss is a really difficult challenge, so... Um, you know, for those that are listening, they're thinking like it's a cakewalk. That that particular fight is very difficult. But the judge, you could challenge him. And even with Hakari, he, I just I could not beat him. He was really? he, you probably have to put a lot of time into him. But anyway, um, 
my favorite part of the game and this you know this may found, sound like a little corny but i just you know we we talked about story earlier when they finally all get together before yeah. you know the final you know confrontation before the end game they all get together they're camping out and they just talk about you know their worries their hopes and their dreams that was like a really good culmination for me because at that point I was really invested in, you know, all the stories of all the travelers. And then when they finally came together and they're, you know, conversing back and forth, you know, the banter and everything, I just really, I, I it really enjoyed those interactions. It just, it's, it felt extremely gratifying for me. Yeah. That's why I didn't need more of those moments. So you can really <laughs> buy into them having the ability to connect like that at the end of the game. But but I did really like that moment too. Um, just a culmination of like, oh shit, like, okay, they like they do recognize each other. Yeah, exactly. They're not just like, you know, sitting next to each other during the, you know, throughout the game during their personal chapters. But right. um, NPC award. Okay, I'll go first. I don't know if you'll pick them, so I'll just throw them out there. I really like Crick. Um, he's one of the main dude in Temenos' story. He's a knight of the Sacred Guard, which is like the church's military force, for lack of a better term. Um, but he's a really devout type of religious dude. He does things for the good of the church. He has a huge heart of gold. And he just plays such a good foil to Temenos because Temenos, as the Inquisitor, he's very doubtful in everything he hears. And he's really sarcastic. Um, so I kind of think like he kind of has my personality without the religion in kind of a way. Um, so just like having that personality lined up with someone that's like very like strong, upstanding in the church just led to like a lot of like my favorite dialogue in the game of Temenos being super condescending. But Crick being like, I don't care what you say. Like, I'm here for the church. And then... You know, I'm going to spoil alert. So if you don't want any spoilers, fast forward like 15 seconds. Like when Crick dies, I think in chapter four, and Tominos becomes that much more like resolute in figuring out who murdered the pontiff. Like for me, that moment got to me really hard because, you know, that's like one of the true friendships you see developed in the game that, you know, for me kind of helped Tominos rise up in my own personal power rankings um, was just his interactions with that character alone. And I don't know. Crick's design was super cool too. Like he has like paladin lurking armor when you see him later and just a cool character all around. I I did love their interactions. It was, what, what was it that he had always said to Crick? Oh, my little my lamb. little lamb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Such an asshole. <laughs> he was an asshole. It's like, here's this guy that, you know, he becomes like, you know, a knight of the sacred flame. He's like all powered up and, yeah. you know, here comes this like, you know, this inquisitor is like, you know, it sounds like a little boy is like, oh yeah, you went through all that. That doesn't mean anything to me. But no, as they as their relationship developed, I I really did enjoy that too. Um, man, the thing is, like, there's there's like hundreds of NPCs yeah, in this game, literally. Hun- li- literally, literally hundreds of NPCs that you can interact with. But um, you won't be surprised to hear this when I when I say it. But um, father from Throne Story, I think that's the one I'm gonna go yeah. with. Um, you know, initially, I didn't think he was a very compelling character. You know, he's quote unquote, you know, they just call him father because, you know, he's one of the co-leaders of the Black Snakes. And, you know, Throne is seeking her freedom. And, you know, by, 
you know, dispatching him or killing him, you know, that's part of the way in which, you know, she can, you know, achieve that. Um, however, as the story progressive, I, I really thought that, you know, the way that the conversation was going, like father was Throne's actual real father. And again, spoiler alert, he ends up not being his father, but the fact that he raised her for all those years, even though it was like, you know, under questionable circumstances. Yeah. To say and, the least. You know, <laughs> it, that, that scene that they flash back to multiple times where he's like, here, throw an A, here's a dagger, kill this guy. That's <laughs> got, yeah. you know, he's not going to get any father of the year awards. Let's put it that way. But, you know, she did some horrible things and he made her do that. But at the end, you know, I really sympathized with him because he was just, you know, as much of a tortured character you know, as, as she was, and, you know, he couldn't really break the cycle of death that, you know, so many, um, you know, um, part of the black snakes go through. And in a sense, like, you know, he just kind of wanted his freedom as well. So I, I don't know. I thought it was like, he very ended up being a very compelling character. So no, that chapter where the, you know, the father's revealed to not be the real father. Um, they set that up so well because there's a lot of flashbacks in that chapter and they make you think that he is the biological father because they introduced Throne's mother in those flashbacks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, shit. But then when you learn at the end of like, oh, no, he's not. And then spoiler alert, you kill him because that's what you, video games do. You kill everyone. Um mm-hmm. Like his last words, you know, when Throne rec- like acknowledges him like, yeah, he was a father figure to her. And his dying words were some of the lines of lines a lot. Along the lines of like, you know, I can finally die as a father or like, you know, like he felt like he got to fill a fatherly role, like for real, like for the first time. And I remember that part. I felt gutted just being like, damn, like they went through all that and they just killed him like in chapter two. It was brutal. It was definitely brutal. But yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the story as well. Um this is, I've been waiting for this. Let me go first on this one because I, I just, I love Are we talking this, about nitpicks? No, renaming the game. Campaign, oh, yeah. Companion piece? Oh, you're okay. doing the rename the game. Yeah, okay. re, we're, we're renaming this one because okay. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. But what I came up was Sue Vide, The Resurrection. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, Vide is the main character, you know, Banished for thousands of years, and now V Day's back. V Day's back. Okay. Well, I went uh, a I couldn't different. Resist. I went a completely different road for rename the game. <laughs> um, so for all of you, you know, Fast Ten just came out. They did a lot of great funs puns when Fast Eight came out. So I got two: the Great Journey with great spell G R, and a number eight. Nice. Oh no. And the Fate. Of Celestia. Oh, okay. And in fate yeah. spelled with F numerical eight. I guess I went more the comedy route, but I just I couldn't I couldn't help myself. You it's know? all good. I went the dad fast and furious family <laughs> route, so I don't think I'm that much better. Oh, fate, yeah. are you referring to the fate of the furious? Yeah, but in this uh, case fate it's the, the fate of Celestia. We got I we got it. Fast and Furious ten coming out, right? Is that where we're on now? I think Fast Ten like just came out or is coming out this weekend or something. I think it like just that. came out recently, yeah. I think it just came out. Not gonna lie, I'm probably it. gonna see it. Like, yeah, <laughs> that that's just a superhero movie at this point. Like, I, I yeah, I've seen I, all of them. I might I as well saw, see the newest one. I saw like a clip on TikTok that was like 
top 10 moments where the series lost its grip on reality and it was like oh, yeah, I saw that too. Vin Diesel becomes an earthbender yeah. like, <laughs> uh, the ro- or, yeah, or, or Vin Diesel catches I, a car or some shit like that yeah, yeah. like there was a Tim I don't know if you ever seen I, I haven't watched Fast and Furious since like one or maybe two but there's oh like my. a scene where he literally stomps on the ground yeah and like yeah, yeah. earthbends <laughs> I don't even. I just saw the. No, dude, it's ridiculous because like they like fell from a height and they land on a bridge, and Vin Diesel's character literally stomps the ground and like it shatters and cracks start like meandering everywhere. So they fall like one more time. It's honestly it's incredible. Pinnacle cinema making, if you ask me. Like (laughs) hugely underrated films. (laughs) Hey boys, future uh, future pod episode potentially. I'm down. The entire Dude, fast series. I am series. so down to talk about the get, fast get chambers. Get chambers in on it, producer Sam. Talk fast. <laughs> yeah, Fate of the Furious. Fa- oh man. Fast X. Is that the name Hell of the yeah. new one? I yeah, think I think so. it's Fast X because Fast Ten. Yeah. Who's a uh, Jason, Jason Momoa? Is I think in this one now or something. It's just it's it's out of control. But I it's it's great. It's great. It's again. It's it's the Star Wars of our time, according to Vin Diesel. So. He, <laughs> Did he wrong. really say that? He's not Dude, wrong. he said some shit like that. We're like, the Fast and Furious movies are the equivalent of like Star Wars in the 70s. So that's pretty incredible take. I, I, I got to admire somebody that believes in their own work that much. Hey, we do at Things for yeah. Playing. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. we do. True. Um, let's jump to nitpicks because we're running a little bit long and let's, I'm going to start wrapping sure. up. Sure, so you sure, got nitpicks, sure. Tim, or any other ones we didn't really mention? You know, honestly, I think I covered most of mine. Um, as you're soon to find out from the score that I'm going to give this game, I have very little nitpicks in the ones that I already talked about. I went over them. The boss fights were too easy beyond the final boss and that stupid judge outside the courthouse. He was like a handful just because you couldn't have your entire party against him. Otherwise, wow. it'd be a cakewalk. But um, no, not really. I don't have too many other nitpicks beyond that. I mean, it's it's a great game. It's a great game. It really okay. is. I think I said most of mine. I think one nitpick I had with kind of just uh, how your party system can trade characters in and out. Because the premise of the story is all eight of them are traveling around together. But like gameplay wise, you couldn't switch out your characters unless you're at a tavern in town. Not so until I thought the very that, end. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is at the very end, they let you swap out party members whenever you wanted. So for me, it didn't make sense why I could do it then and not you know, earlier in the game when I had all eight people traveling around. So, cause it just, if, you know, if you're grinding or if you're looking, going like um, pursuing like the optional dungeons, there's times where I was like, Hey, one person's kind of getting far ahead in levels. It'd be nice to switch them out now uh, just to catch people up. So it was just an extra chore that I didn't like. And then the other one, I don't think I mentioned as much. Like if you want to play this on switch, just be forewarned. Like, not only is it graphically not as good as maybe the PS5, but the game crashed on me a few times. Some of the loading times were kind of longer than I would expect, even for a 2D game at this point. And like the last battle when it had the most going on with the final boss and you had all your characters on screen, my Switch was fighting for its fucking life. Like I was sweating balls that it was going to shut off like mid fight. I was like, I was like, come on little buddy, you could do it. Like, let's just beat this thing and go home. Um, So the machine aspect of it, like, I don't know if it was fully optimized for Switch when it was released, but it did hinder my enjoyment a little bit of the game, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then companion piece before score. I think that's all we're missing, right? Okay. 
So did you have a companion piece for this, Tim? You know, I think really my companion pieces are just, again, it's it's going to sound repetitive, but just harking back to the days of Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy IV in particular, it's as role. Wait, chronicled. a companion piece pick is a non-video game. Oh, 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 okay. Damn, yeah. you're breaking the rules on your yeah, first yeah. pod, bro. What the hell? Okay, we'll do right. we'll do Hylette first, and Tim, we're going to let you call an audible on this one. We're going to give you a minute to think okay. of something. Okay, all right, okay. my bad. So... This game is all about multiple storylines, multiple personalities, rich backstories, not a lot of overlap until the end or at key moments. So in my opinion, there's a lot of good movies that do this. I thought of Quentin Tarantino when I thought about the narrative structure of this. And Quentin Tarantino kind of does a really good job of creating separate storylines and having them converge and intermingle. At first I was thinking Glorious Bastards, but... I kind of like Pulp Fiction as a companion piece Um, because especially in Pulp Fiction, you could kind of see echoes of the other storylines happening in the background, which this game does at times. And then everything just culminates really well at the end. And everyone kind of has that moment of closure and being able to move on when that film ends. And I think that's how this game worked. We played through eight separate storylines. They touch on each other sometimes, other times they didn't. But at the end, Everyone got a chance to interact with, you know, with with everyone, get through the final conflict, right towards the sunset. So, Pulp Fiction. It's a good one. All right. I do I have one, boys. I got one. Okay. Ocean's Eleven. Oh, and the reason why ooh. I say Ocean's Eleven is because in that movie, each character brings their very own unique skill set. You know, they get the best of the best of, you know, the person who you know, can run intel in the hotel and, you know, scope things out. And the actual, you know, guys who, you know, are coming up with the plans in order to, you know, get into the safe and, you know, so on and so forth. I say this as a companion piece because, you know, each character brings their own unique trait to, you know, amongst the eight travelers. And I think that, you know, at the end, they're going towards a common goal, a la, you know, trying to get to the safe as well. So, um, Ocean's Eleven. That's what I'm going with. Nice. Okay. Good audible. That's a Thank great you. audible. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Score time? Is that where we're at? I, I think so. I think Well, actually, yeah. we do like to ask one last question here. Um, would you play other games from this developer is something that we like to touch on. Now, um, obviously, we our love of Square and, you know, just the genre and everything has... Spoken for itself throughout this whole episode. Um, what about the other games? I mean, does uh, Highlight, does this make you want to go back and play Octopath 1? Or does it make either of you want to go check out Live Alive, the more recent HD 2D uh, visual, um, H- HD 2D JRPG from uh, Square Enix? I would, if I had the time and not Tears of the Kingdom waiting for me. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if I'll go back to the first Octopath, because from what I heard... This game just builds. It's just better than the first one. So I have a hard time wanting to invest a lot of time going backwards. But like if they made an Octopath 3, whether it's a sequel or another kind of soft reboot with a new cast and a new world, I'll for sure like have it on my radar. And I'll consider playing that other one you mentioned too when Mm -hmm. the backlog gets a little clearer potentially. (laughs) So I believe the developer along with Square Enix, which published Octopath, um, I kind of started playing a game from the same developer, um, and it was called Triangle Strategy. 
it was a tactics RPG, right. which, you know, mm-hmm. very similar, you know, HD, 2D, you know, graphical, you know, graphics and everything. And I think I got a, a fair amount of hours in. It's something that I'll come back to. I actually do have it for the Switch. Um, I think it was only available for the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I'll continue playing that as, at, a, some, at a certain point once uh, I get through the games I want to play right now. And uh, yeah, I think uh, this, no, they're excellent games excellent games everything that they've released awesome awesome all right final scores of the game uh this is for those of you listening for the very first time this is where we take both of our reviewers scores out of 10 we're going to add them up and that is the score out of 20 for octopath traveler two uh let's hear it guys three two one nine nine let's go let's go (laughs) All right, so, serious score. I, I want to throw out, I was actually thinking eight when I walked in. But the more I talked about it and the more we got the to more I talk convinced about you? it. A, a little bit. But I was trying to have a hard time. Like, I thought, I felt like it was an eight. Like, I had that gut feeling, the IGN rating scale. I was kind of going off that. I use that as a barometer of like, you know, the way I want to verbalize the game. Does that fit? But I just have a hard time knocking it more than one point because my biggest gripe, like major complaint, is the narrative structure was just really uneven. But I enjoyed so much of everything else and it was a good experience. So I think for me, since I was teetering between an eight and a nine, I was like, I'm going to round up for this game. So I love you for it. I love you for it. Again, (laughs) my main nitpick, the only reason that I didn't give it a 10, maybe it's a little bit more of a nitpick reflective of my score, but... Man, I just wish the boss fights for uh, other than the final boss were just a little bit, you know, they're engaging, but man, I could just breeze through them at a certain point. So I think, I think despite all that though, um, other than the boss fights, everything was perfect about the game. Everything. It was awesome. an incredible game. All right. A highly recommended TFP game from Tim and Tim, inaugural uh, review podcast episode. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, where could the good folks find you online? Hylet? Um, best place to reach me is the discord, which I'm sure Lucas will share how to get access to. I'm there pretty often responding to hot Mickey's random ass tweets. Um, and just you whatever guys are kind of fighting in there uh, a little bit. I noticed. Yeah. Is I don't know what like is, a, I don't know what saying gone to hot Mickey's whatever, but I, I'm, I love everyone at TFP. Like I, I have common ground with Matt after everything he's threw out there. So I don't know the balls in hot Mickey's after everything court. He's put us through after everything yeah. I had to listen to. So I don't know what's yeah, going I mean, on at hot Mickey's end, but I'm vibing and have a good time. Hot Mickey. I love you. You're a good dude. So, you know, if he it's wants so, to look like so more like an asshole, he disc- can <laughs> totally dude. It was, I don't know. Damn, like, I don't know I if you have insight, but whatever. No, no, he's fine. He's he's just wrapped up in Tears of the Kingdom. I'm sure he's pausing Tears of the Kingdom and then just like rapid fire on Discord and Probably. then just jumping back into some shrines, not thinking too hard. Uh, sorry to put you on blast, Hot Mickey, while you're not even here to defend yourself. But hey, that comes with the territory. Uh, Tim, Timothy, where can we find you online? You can find me in the Discord as well. Uh, Orion's my handle. And then I'm on Twitter as well at, uh, at TV4800. Awesome. Awesome. And if you are looking for more TFP content, you can go to thanksforplaying.live. You'll find a lot of written content on there, including our Octopath Traveler review um, and power ranking snake draft that these two guys are doing. Um, Their most recent review was on Destiny 2's latest DLC. Uh, Go read it online to see how 
how they reviewed that one. Um, and as always, you could find us on the Discord at thanksforplaying.live. Um, and you could always email us at TFP Podcasts or thanks for playing uh, pod at gmail.com. Follow us on all the socials at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. Grown the TikTok. Matt is making TikToks basically every day. So please go check them out. You can see Matt's beautiful face. It's and, good content. Uh, we'll love to see you there. It's good content. It's good content. I'm making the memes and then Matt's doing like the actual face. He's the face. And then I'm making like the silly, like the one today with the Akira, like me trying to go outside this summer. Did you see that one? Oh, time? that was you? That was me. I made that one. <laughs> that was tight, bro. Anyone like that's that anything that's nice. funny, I make. Just keep that in mind. Okay. And then Matt's the face. So we've established that pretty hard. So you're the brains and he's the looks? That's right. Nice. That's right. Not saying that we can't have both, but it's just where we've landed. Oh, everyone's I'm... typecast at some point, so. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody. This has been Thanks for Playing. Catch you next time. scooby bop Thanks for Playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna, and our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle. 